This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. As we were talking, Adam, one of the things that I wanted to cover for the listeners who haven't done threat modeling before, give us the overview. You wrote the book. You know what it's about. So threat modeling is asking four simple questions about the project that you're working on. The first, what are we working on? The second, what can go wrong? Number three, what are we going to do about it? Number four, did we do a good job? These are simple questions designed to act as a North Star as you're threat modeling. If you're not sure how the work that you're doing connects to one of those four questions, take a step back. We ask the question, what are we working on? Because oftentimes you ask three architects, you get five answers. Getting it on a whiteboard so you can point to it and say, here's the system that we're deploying this sprint, this iteration, this is what we care about right now so everyone can look at it and use it as the basis of answering question number two. What can go wrong? We can apply a set of different techniques to understand what goes wrong in a structured, systematic, and comprehensive way. So we could perhaps use the kill chain to say, how would an attacker do reconnaissance against this system? How would an attacker engage in exploitation, in persistence, in lateral movement? And we can look through the system as a whole using the kill chain. We can use a mnemonic called STRIDE. STRIDE stands for spoofing, tampering, repudiation, information disclosure, denial of service, and elevation of privilege. We can look for those six problems in a system, all of which helps us say what can go wrong and drives the question, what are we going to do about it? When we know and what we're going to do about it might be re-architecting the system so that it's not vulnerable. It might be deploying a control either in this iteration or putting that control into the backlog. It might be accepting the risk, saying, yes, a certain number of user accounts will be compromised each time. Or yes, this particular system needs to be able to reach out to the internet, and so we're not going to worry about the risk of command and control through a Twitter bot. Each of these three questions, the heart of threat modeling, gives you an opportunity to say, this is what we need to do to secure this iteration, this project, this product, this service, and have a degree of assurance that you're doing the right things, not about the threat in the headlines, but about all of the threats covered in the kill chain, covered in the stride model, covered in whatever model you're using to help you answer the question, what can go wrong? And then, like any good Agile practitioner, 
you engage in a retrospective. You say, what went well? What went poorly? What do we keep doing? What do we take away? And so the four questions, what are we working on? What can go wrong? What are we going to do about it? And did we do a good job? Are the heart of threat modeling. One of the things that might sound simplistic, but I think it needs clarification, is the word modeling. I have a, a vision of what modeling is. You know, I was a kid, I used to build models, right? Where is modeling in this scenario? So, so modeling is all about abstracting away details, right? You built a Lego model, you built, you use a Hot Wheels model, you build a, a Revel model airplane. It's a representation of the thing. So one model is the model that we might put on the whiteboard and use to discuss what we're working on. The second model is the model of the threats. Stride is an abstraction. The kill chain is an abstraction. People don't use the kill chain to break into your system, right? They have an exploit or they take advantage of a vulnerability or a misconfiguration. We use models to help us think and to ensure that we don't get lost in the weeds. One of the things that concerns me about this idea is the possibility that it slows the process down. And it's a major concern for the building pipelines and that security is always perceived as a gateway and something that's standing in the way of getting things out the door. Absolutely. And my experience is that once you start asking these questions at the beginning of a project, you reduce the number of times that at the end of the project, security has to stand up and say, hang on a minute, we just had a pen test. It's the first time we're hearing about this project and holy cow, the design you have is problematic. The best way to slow down a release is to need to rewrite all the code. If you start security early and you ask these simple questions, you can do it pretty quickly. You ask these simple questions, you make security's engagement more predictable and more useful. So how long does, how long and how frequently during the process do people check in on the model? You know, ask the app, if you ask me that question, how long and how frequently do people talk about the system that they're building? The answers are all over the map, right? If, if you're building a simple website, maybe it's 30 minutes or an hour of, we put on the whiteboard what we're doing this sprint. We use the elevation of privilege game to structure our walkthrough we can be done in an hour. If we're going to be building something on the scale of Xbox or a new ad system or a new multiplayer mobile game, we might spend a good amount of time, by which I mean days or even weeks, thinking about how is the system going to come together. And we might do that in small chunks, we might do it in large chunks, but when you say, how long does it take? How long does a project take? I've, it, has, it fits into everything I've ever done. When we look at 
security in a DevSecOps pipeline, one of the things that has proven the most effective is the automation of security. How does threat modeling fit into that? There is always a set of automated work and there's a set of thinking work that people have to do. There's a number of projects that are being put forth in the OWASP threat modeling community around encoding your threat models as code to automatically drive security testing. And so some of the model starts out in someone's head where someone says, I'm worried about this possibility. And then they encode it as BDD. And so that threat model can be tested against every release. I think that's a tremendously exciting development where we can have libraries of threat models. Um, there's a fellow, Fraser Scott, who is working to encode the standard threats you must worry about in AWS and Azure in these BDD tests. Great. Let's reduce, let's have the machines do what the machines can do. The custom pieces of your project, the pieces that are new and different, require a little bit of thinking in the same about what can go wrong in the same way that they require a little bit of thinking about what's the best way to code this. What database do I select? What web front end do I code in? These are not automatable questions, right? We sit down as architects, as professionals, and we have a conversation. Do I... Do I put this in Mongo or do I put this in MySQL? That's not something we can automate, but once we have it in MySQL or we have it in Mongo, we can actually test it automatically to see if we've configured it properly. What does this initial meeting look like? Who is attending the first meeting to talk through this? Your audience is a set of DevSecOps professionals. So it would be some dev people, some sec people, and some ops people. And what it looks, and so it would be people who have a broad overview of the system, who have a responsibility for making the decisions about what we're going to ship and when we're going to ship it. And what it looks like is first there's a meeting of the minds. What are we working on? Is a question designed to get everyone in the room to agree on what it is we're going to ship because I can't tell you how many times I've gone into the room with that simple question and someone's gone up to the whiteboard and confidently said, we're building something that looks like this. And someone else in the room, not a security person, someone else in the engineering effort says, no, it's not, we're building that. And they go up and they argue at the whiteboard. And so we start by getting to consistency in our understanding of what's going out the door. And then the second part of the meeting is saying what can go wrong. When you have a list of what can go wrong, you go out, you write user stories, you might write an epic, you might write a spike to figure out what a control might be or run a spike to figure out what a control might be. You might file some bugs. You might file some tickets to say, we need to do this work, 
right? And some of those might get put into the backlog. Some of those might be executed on immediately. Who is leading this meeting? Somebody has to call it. Somebody has to organize it. In your experience of looking at a diversity of projects, who usually is the one leading the charge here? If you have a security person who is good at collaboration, who is good at active listening, who is good at make, getting people to come together, the security person should lead. Those skill sets are sometimes not as valued as I might like. You know, some security people conceive of their job as saying no. I find that to be unfortunate. But if you're if you think of your job as saying no and you can't do that, rather than exploring a set of trade-offs in a possibility space, then whoever leads the meeting needs to be someone who has that skill set so they can drive towards consensus and agreement. The trigger for our discussion here was a chapter in the book, Epic Failures in DevSecOps, written by Edwin Kwan. Mm -hmm. and you reached out to me and said, oh man, I would love to talk to Edwin to kind of pick his brain on what happened. <laughs> uh, there were a couple of things. That, one is threat modeling the Microsoft way. I spent several years as the program manager on the secure development lifecycle team responsible for threat modeling. That's when I started working on the book. It's when I created the Microsoft SDL threat modeling tool and shipped that. It's when I created the Elevation of Privilege game. I can count at least four or five things, which are all different and distinct, that are the Microsoft approach to threat modeling. There's stride, there's patterns and practices, there's asset element. I'm sure I'm forgetting things off the top of my head. And so when Edwin says these things went wrong, you know, first, thank you for trying. And I wish I could respond in more detail and say, this is what I would change. This is where your process went wrong. He described it as an epic fail. And I would love to be able to say, your failure point was this. And that was where the meeting went off track. Because he also said that he spent three hours on this. And, you know, thank you, Edwin. Thank you, other meeting participants who were willing to give it three hours worth of try. And I wish it had gone better for you. And a few more details about what went wrong would allow us to do a little bit of meta threat modeling and say, what can go wrong and what are we going to do about it to help them answer the question, did we do a good job? Why didn't we do a good job? How do we do a better job next time? In the Epic Failures book, one of the things that each of the authors was talking about is how the system broke down from the anticipation of what it was planned to do. And again, you're talking about planning now. I haven't seen anything tangible yet that you've said, okay, this is it. You're talking about this is all planning. What have you seen gone go wrong in a threat modeling session? <laughs> what haven't I seen <laughs> go wrong? 
Wow. I mean, there's a there's a big question there. The first thing that goes wrong is a wrong focus. People want to focus on their attackers. If nobody's going to attack this system, why would we bother defending it? They want to focus on their assets. If there's no valuable data in here, why would anyone bother attacking it? And those are natural questions, and I can delve into this if you'd like, but at a high level, the answer is most of the people in the room don't know what an asset is or how an attacker would take advantage of it. They don't know what attackers are going to care about. What they know about in the room, hopefully in a DevOps world, in a DevSecOps world, is they know what they're working on and they can talk about that. And that's why we leverage that as the way to get started. Some other things that tend to go wrong are movie plot threats. Yeah, where that's, yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> instead of thinking about... Some, and, and that's why I go to something like the kill chain. It's why I go to something like Stride is because when I do training courses and I put people through the exercise of let's brainstorm the question of what can go wrong and let's use one of these structures, the clarity, actionability, precision all jump by something, you know, the number of threats that we find goes from five to 10 to 15 to 50. The actionability, and I don't have a number on actionability, but you know, you know the difference between that's an interesting problem and that's a shrug your shoulders problem. You get into much more precise, actionable. We're gonna we're gonna improve the multi-factor authentication on this system. We're going to run better authorization controls on the database before we deploy this. We're going to make sure that we keep copies of all of the dependencies that roll into production because we're worried about someone tampering with them. And so we want a gold master source. And so all sorts of things go wrong. When I present the four question frame, the idea behind the frame is that if you do these four things, you avoid all of those problems, which people really do experience. And I don't talk about it because no one wants, no one wants to go to the doctor and hear, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Right? I want to be told what I should do, especially when I'm not an expert, right? Most of your listeners want to do security well. That's why they're listening. Focus in on the four questions. Focus in on using a framework. Focus in on doing a retrospective. Because let me tell you, the first time you do anything, it doesn't go super well. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Making coffee in a new coffee machine, you've got to dial in the amount of grounds, the temperature of the water, and you get better at it. With something like a development process where you've got a lot more moving parts, you've got personalities, you've got constraints, 
your first threat model is not going to go as well as your third or fourth. Your third or fourth isn't going to go as well as your 10th or 20th. It's a set of skills, a set of skills you need to develop and learn over time. But the four questions give you a framework for trying to bring things back on track when they go wrong. The community perceives you as the leader in this, if you want to call it movement. Who else should people be following if they're interested in threat modeling? So I would encourage people to join our community on OWASP. We've got an active Slack channel that has a lot of people who are engaged. Um, Fraser, who I mentioned, Stephen, I'm not going to attempt to mispronounce his last name, uh, but he's the project leader, good guy. And there's a lot of people who, when I sit down for them, when I sit down with them for a cup of coffee and talk about what they're doing, they've got some really interesting things going on. Robert at Bank of America springs to mind. The, the thing that has allowed me to be a leader here is that Microsoft has been investing in threat modeling for a long time. And I'm proud to be part of a tradition, right? Lauren Kornfelder and Prerit Garg created Stride. Frank Swiderski, Windows Snyder wrote the first book on the subject. And while I no longer work at Microsoft, they very kindly enabled me to tell stories out of school about what was happening and to share what we had learned. And many people's employers don't let them do that. They don't let them say, here's what really happened. And that's a shame. I wish we had more open source threat modeling going on. One of the things that people might not know about you is that you are a game collector. You've got a page on your site. Yeah, and how did that get started? It's pretty cool. Oh, thank you. So, so the Elevation of Privilege game is an de intellectual derivative of planning poker, the agile practice. A woman by the name of Laurie Williams, she's a professor at North Carolina State, created a game called Protection Poker. And someone, someone pointed me to it, and I said, that's neat, but I can do a better job. And so I went and created the Elevation of Privilege game, which, by the way, you can get at github.com, adamshowstack slash EOP. It's Creative Commons. And there's a bunch of variants now. I'm, I'm excited and proud. I went and created this game. And let me tell you, I lucked out. The amount of things that just happened to go right in the creation of that game were pretty massive. When I was done, I started studying game design. I said, this is cool. This is neat. Let me learn more about this. I learned how lucky I'd gotten, and I started hearing about other people's games. Now, I maintain a page. Not only do I maintain a page, let me shift here just a little bit. I maintain a physical collection. And Adam is now walking away from his microphone back and grabbing something off the shelf behind him. I am. So I've got the um, Blackfoot Cornucopia game, which is an elevation of privilege variant that's created for the web. You can get it at the OWASP website. Is that the one that Colin did? The yes. Yeah. Yep. 
I've got a game called Stixits, which is all about learning sticks and taxi. Here's another cornucopia in the OWASP branding. I've got to get you my DevSecopoly board. You do. I would love a copy. I've got the Emergent Risk deck. I've got Docs. I've got Cyber Threat Defender. You know, when, when we talk about engagement, when we talk about walking into that room for the first time, there's often some headbutting in the past between the security team and the dev team and the ops team. And security has to insert itself, right? And you have in your name, DevSecOps, put security in the middle there, showing up with a game in hand, with something that looks like a game that people will look at and be curious and say, hey, what's that? Instead of, oh God, it's the security guys again. They're going to derail my project. You show up with a game in hand. It changes the conversation in a tremendously meaningful way where we're tapping into human behavior patterns in a way that security often doesn't tap into. I think games have tremendous power to bring us together, to get our creative juices flowing. The reason I made the Elevation of Privilege game is because when I sit down, if I sat down with like Frazier and Tash and Steven and said, we're going to threat model a system together, we would be laughing and we would be poking at it and we would be having a good time. When Edwin, and I don't mean to pick on Edwin, I say this respectfully, when Edwin sat down, he described it as an epic fail. What made it an epic fail, I don't know, but giving people some structure, the inclusivity of it's your turn, there's a card in front of you, link it to the board, link it to what's happening, gives people a demand of them, a challenge that they have to beat, and it gives them a hint so that they can actually beat that challenge. And so that structure draws people in. It draws developers in. It draws ops people in. Instead of saying, here's this important thing, don't get it wrong. It would be bad to get it wrong, right? People get scared when asked to do security because if you get it wrong, there's going to be a problem. And so, yes, I love games. I think they're, they're awesome tools and we should have more of them. Good, because I've written a couple more. Awesome. Because <laughs> I'm in agreement with you. Awesome. I would love, I would love to hear more about them. One of the ways that we can wrap this up is to talk about future vision. And I'll give you a little background here. In 2002, I wrote a very well-received book on voice XML. It was how to voice enable your website. You could actually talk to your website with 10 different projects. And as I look back, even 15, almost 20 years later now, there has been very, very little advancement in voice XML. When you think about threat modeling, in 2019 and 2020 beyond. What's the prognosis here? So so you you used as we were prepping for this court for this call 
a provocative word that I want to go back to, which is stagnated. Mm -hmm. um, I did. I said that I felt like your book came out in 2015, 2014. Mm -hmm. and has the industry stagnated? Because that was the last major book on the subject. So first, I love the provocative nature of the question because it may be in your listeners' minds. I don't think it has. I think the advantage to something like the four-question framework is it enables me to have a book that has a little bit longer shelf life than the typical book in security or technology. Aspirationally, I would like to put my book next to Kent's book, Kent Beck's book on extreme programming, right? And you, we don't say, has Agile stagnated because that book is still relevant? I think that the developments that we're seeing are things like the threat models as code projects. I think we're seeing an increase in people being willing and able to use something like the kill chain to threat model. We're seeing variants, excuse me, we're seeing variants of threats as we move to the cloud. So classically, for example, denial of service, all about CPU bandwidth and storage. Now it's also about your budget in the cloud and it's about your battery life in IoT. It's still denial of service, one of the six stride threats. And so there are details. And I regularly hear from people who are successfully rolling out threat modeling projects inside their organization. You know, they write me and say, I bought your book. Thank you. We took this thing that was messy and it's now part of the way we do business. And so I don't see that as stagnation. I see it as we're seeing discipline and execution happen. And my hope is that we're going to see more books on threat modeling, right? And we have seen a couple since, since I wrote this. Brooke Seanfield, um, Tony, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce Tony's last name, but he's got the pasta book, the process for attack simulation and threat analysis. So there are other books on threat modeling which have come out and we'll see more over time. I think, I hope what I did with my book was give people something that takes a little while to digest. The progress that we're seeing is not progress in the form of books, it's progress in the form of software, of execution, of skills. You know, there are now people at at least four companies that I know of that have threat modeling in their title, that their job is like threat modeling architect or threat modeling expert. And so I see that, I see each of these as important steps forward rather than stagnation. And I would encourage everyone who's listening to give it a try go get the Elevation of Privilege game, see if it works for you. If it does, great. Maybe blog about it, write about it, talk about it. If it doesn't, I'm not going to say even better. You know, I hope it will work for you. But if it doesn't, retrospect it. T 
talk about what you did, talk about why it didn't work, because the, that is how we as a community grow and develop and learn from one another. Along that line, I think that I'll put you and Edwin together. Would love uh, to. <laughs> on a future show. I think it would go great. Are you going to be at RSA next month? I will be, yep. I have three talks at RSA. Most relevant to your listeners, Threat Modeling in 2019, Friday at 8.30 in the morning. I will be talking about you know, the question of what's new and different in threat modeling. It's a lot of agile. It's a lot of threat specifics. It's a lot of how we use the internet in conflict. I've got a talk on measurement, which I'm doing with Jay Jacobs of the Scientia Institute on Thursday afternoon. And I've got a panel with Harry Sferdloves, JJ, and Marcus Ranum on Tuesday afternoon. Plenty of opportunity to catch me at RSA. This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. DevSecOps Days podcast is supported by OWASP dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. <laughs>